Good morning, Northbrook. Today's text is Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. We have Bibles available at the welcome table in the back, right by the coffee. If you do not own a copy of God's Word, please take one as our gift to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. (laughs) Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be with you. I'm definitely going to knock something over this morning, so, but that'll be fun for all of us. Uh, I'm Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and as always, it's just a joy to open God's word with you and uh, see what he has for us. And so, uh, really excited for these last few weeks as we finish the Sermon on the Mount uh, through chapter 7. Um, It's just such a rich, encouraging time and just continues to be as uh, we dwell on his word. And as I was thinking about this morning, I was curious if any of you had, like as you just, um, what comes to mind when you think of the question, like the last time you were just really excited about something. Maybe you were excited to receive something. Maybe you were excited something was about to happen. Um, For me, it's very clear. Uh, It's actually uh, a recent example yesterday and today. So for the past about five years, our ice maker has been broken on our fridge. And that's just how good of a husband I am uh, that it's, you know, been broken for five years and still is. And uh, so we just typically don't have ice uh, except for when we grab a bag of ice or something. And there's those people who are like, oh, we don't like ice. We don't, we love ice actually. Uh, it, we love to drink cold drinks, uh, but we just don't have uh, much ice. And then I came up with this like incredibly new, innovative idea yesterday, and I was like, you know what, why do we not just get ice trays? It's like, what, I mean, yeah, well, where, where are those things nowadays? And so, believe it or not, they still sell them. Uh, maybe some of you have them. Uh, maybe some of you are quicker thinkers than I am. Maybe four or five years ago, you would have thought this. Uh, but, but I was like so excited because I'd been wanting, and you know, I was like, oh, we'll make money back on these ice trays. We won't have to buy so much ice. Um, it was just going to be awesome. And I was so excited about it when we, the package came in and Nate didn't know what it is yet, my six-year-old. And he's like, are those the ice trays? <laughs> like, that just shows, like, how much I'd been talking up. And I was like, I think so. And then he was, like, calling the, he's like, guys, the ice trays are here. And I was like, man, he's going to have a weird impression of ice trays growing up because it's not how normal people talk about ice trays. But, uh, um, and, and now, so got them yesterday and uh, had to wash them and, you know, temper my excitement. But believe it or not, right now, there is liquid in my freezer forming to solid ice. That is, and I'm excited. Yes, praise God. And, um, uh, and so whatever that is for you, like how excited you get about something as silly as that, something that's maybe a big deal, maybe a wedding day, maybe something you have coming up, maybe the birth of a child, uh, maybe just Christmas or a, fun, or a birthday coming up. But that kind of excitement, uh, that kind of joy, um, is the kind of excitement and joy that Jesus is encouraging us towards, that Jesus is saying we should have when we come to our Father in prayer. You can feel the hard turn there. 
Because that excitement and joy that I get over an ice tray, it's hard for me to have in prayer. It's hard for me to have that same kind of excitement as I go to the God of the universe and share what's on my heart, ask him for what I need, uh, to engage him, to read his word and pray and consider. The, the reality is, like, we, we kind of all know that should, but we also all know that, man, I mean, it's like Paul says, laboring in prayer. Isn't that true? Isn't there a laboring in prayer? Isn't there a, a hardness to our prayer life? The reality is, prayer is really hard. Um, again, though, I think Jesus uh, shows us that if we believe this passage, we would have that kind of excitement uh, about prayer. Let me, let me just, in light of that, let me just read it again over us. Even consider what is your initial response to what Jesus' words are here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Almost every commentary I read this week, every book I read on this passage, I had one common common thing that they said, that this is the most encouraging passage in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the most, maybe even the entirety of the Bible, that it's just an incredibly encouraging passage. But I feel like it's one of those things that we just, we get, we just get it wrong. Because often, I, I would have guessed that the majority of us, that's actually not the initial response we have. That when we hear these words, we're not like, oh my goodness, we have a Father that loves us and wants to provide and wants to give what we need. I imagine a lot of us have uh, a different kind of initial response. Maybe it's one of like theological confusion. Like, how does this work? Like, does it, what, what does this really mean? Or is God, if God, why do I need to ask? Does he already know? What do, what do, how do I need to pray? How does this work theologically? So just get a little confused. Um, some of us, if we're, if many of us have grown up uh, maybe in the church and as kids, we heard things like this and we're like, we get this selfish kind of excitement and we're like, dude, I can ask for anything. Well, all right, I'm good at that. Like kids are the best at asking for anything um, and they can continue to ask and then we do that. And maybe you hear this verse and maybe even as an adult, you get that little flutter of like, oh man, that thing that I've wanted, maybe if I just pray the right way or pray the right prayer or do it in the right order or somehow I can unlock this gift of whatever I want uh, if I just go to the Father in the right way. So we respond with maybe a little bit of a selfish excitement, which we'll get to later. But then for many of us, I think, it's, uh, that selfish excitement has worn off because we've given it a good try. We've given it maybe a good try for, for many years. And, and I'll even say this, not even a selfish excitement. Maybe we've just prayed prayers for a long time that aren't even selfish, but they don't seem to be answered in the way that we would want. Um, and so we, our initial response is just a doubtful cynicism. I, I feel like that's often like, okay, this is, this is a nice statement. This is fine words. I like Jesus' sentiment here. That doesn't really matter in regards to real life. He doesn't really mean this. Got to explain it away uh, in some way. Um, it doesn't really have an impact on our life. And I think that's often, again, instead of receiving that encouragement, of Jesus is telling us who the Father is. He's telling us about our Father in heaven. He's describing who he is to us, 
and it's an incredibly encouraging picture. Uh, but, but we often, our mind just goes so many other places uh, than that. And so here's the big idea for today as we walk through this passage. That this passage is about the real you praying to the real God. The real you, what you really have going on in your heart and mind, your real desires, your real struggles, praying to the real God. And, and it's going to be uh, a fairly brief sermon just two points. Those are the two points. And then I'm actually, we're going to show us a, a fairly long video. And so if the sermon goes long, then I'm sorry. I'm going to try to be short because the, the, the video is like 13 minutes long. Um, but you know that's coming. So now um, uh, we'll, we'll go through those two points really quickly uh, and, and show this video that expresses some of these ideas. So the real you, Matthew 7 and 8, kind of help us see the real you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And I just want to clear out like the three exhortations here to ask and to seek and to knock. They are synonyms. Like there's not some secret code to unlock here. We don't need to ask in a certain way and seek in a certain way and knock in a certain way. It's how the Bible often communicates. It reiterates it to, to emphasize that there, what Jesus is emphasizing is that there should this be, be this persistent coming to our Father in prayer with all that's going on in our heart and mind. Now, the synonyms help us even kind of see like the different things we would ask for. I think about when I'm trying to find something, I'm needing help. I'm thinking when I'm knocking on something, I'm desiring for, uh, I'm desiring to be welcomed in, desiring for some kind of opportunity, and then when I'm, again, when I'm asking, there's just a, a long list of desires or needs that are on my heart, but, but there's no secret code or formula. He, he is encouraging persistent, honest prayer that we see uh, in parable time and time again through the persistent widow, through their neighbor asking for bread that just won't give up. And finally, the person caves in. God is saying, hey, that is how you should continue uh, to come to me. And so it's an encouraging thing to consider. What do you want? What do you need help with? Where do you want to go? What, what doors do you want to be open to you? Like Jesus is encouraging us to consider that in our own lives. It's not just a general prayer, but these, are, these mean something to us. What would we be asking? What are we seeking even right now? What door do we want to be opened to us? And this is an exhortation and a promise. If we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. And if we knock, the door will be opened. And so again, as we think about our lives, as we think about praying in this way, as we think about uh, the, whatever road this looks like for us, whatever kind of long struggles we've had in our life, what keeps us from doing this? Like, what keeps us from asking and seeking and knocking? And, and one of the clear things is um, what is behind so much of our struggles uh, that we have to come to grips with, and it takes many different forms, but we just don't believe Jesus' words here. Like, we don't believe the Father really thinks this way about us. Like, if you think about what keeps you from asking, what keeps you from going to someone, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be as encouraged and as excited to go ask somebody for, someone, for something if I'm pretty sure they don't care about me, I'm pretty sure they don't want to give me anything, but if I want something and I know that person loves me and wants good for me, then I'm probably much more likely to go ask that person. Um, and so one of the things that, that, and there's different reasons we get to this place, but one of the reasons that we keep, keeps us from doing this 
is we simply don't believe uh, what Jesus is saying. I think uh, fear also keeps us praying bold prayers. As we think about uh, what Jesus is saying, we try to theologically nuance it, um, and it keeps us from just believing it at face value in many ways. I love uh, what R.T. France says. He talks about some of those cautions as it's not a magic wand. We just get to wave. God's not a, a slot machine, not a genie. But he says, for, for all of that necessary caution, there is an openness about verses 7 and 8, which invites not merely a resigned acceptance of what the Father gives, but a willingness to explore the extent of his generosity. Secure in the knowledge that only what is good will be given, so that no mistakes in prayer through human short-sightedness will not rebound. I'm sorry, no mistakes in, in prayer through human short-sightedness will not rebound on those praying. That we have just, uh, we have all kinds of fears that muddy our prayer life. We have the fear of perfection, the fear of praying rightly, the fear of, okay, is this going to be, is this how I should pray? The, and and the, the, what Jesus is saying is that we have a generous God and we can let that generous be the welcome to our, that generosity be the welcome to our prayer life. And then we don't have to fear like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to pray the right way. Should I be praying for this? Should I be asking for this? Is this something you desire? Jesus says, ask for it. He doesn't even say it here. He says it like all throughout the scriptures. Ask for anything. That's what Jesus says. So you can't let fear get in the way. Again, we let doubt keep us from praying. Some of that doubt is from unmet desires. We've had desires that have been consistent and steady for so long. Um, and and what, again, what we, what we short circuit there, that's a reality. That's a reality for almost probably every one of us. We have things that we've desired for a long time that we continue to pray about, and they don't happen in the way uh, that we want them to. And so we stop praying about them, and this is what happens. The real us stops coming to God, because this is still part of the real us. It's still something we really desire, but we just think, man, God doesn't want to do this, or God's given up on this, or we just don't even know, so we just stop praying. Those unmet desires are often a common struggle or um, again, un unmet desires, unanswered prayers. I think two other errors that keep us from coming, just like the real us coming to the real God, is we downplay physical needs. Uh, we just downplay the physical reality. We talked about this during the Lord's Prayer, that God made us physical people. He made us to need real things. He made us to need rest. And he made us even have the different needs. Some of us can handle lots of people all the time. Someone, some of us can't handle hardly anybody any of the time. Um, and God's stretching us and growing us all, but we have real needs, and, and we need to pray about those physical needs. Some of us are struggling or living paycheck to paycheck. Some of us are struggling in relationships. And, and we, we, can, we can downplay the, the physical things, the real things that are going on in our life and just think, oh, I just need to pray to love God more, to know God more, um, and, and not worry about those physical things. But God made us to need those physical things. Again, if you've been following with us with the Sermon on the Mount, it's a lot of what Matthew 6 is about, that we have real physical needs and our God provides and cares. There's a lot of connection between uh, the end of Matthew 6 and even uh, this passage today in Matthew 7 of seeking and finding and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to us. 
So some, so some of the things that keep us from praying, the, the real us praying is we downplay uh, physical needs, but then sometimes we downplay spiritual needs. We, we swing on one of those pendulums or the other. Um, we, we, we pray for, you know, I was going to make a joke I shouldn't have made, so I'd stop myself, though, uh, and I'm going to move on. Thank you, Brian. Um, but we just pray for random physical needs. We pray for, uh, we pray for everything that we can feel, but we don't pray. God, I want to love you more. God, I, I want to know you more. God, I want to hunger and thirst after you with all of my life. We, we, we swing that we just pray on one side of that pendulum or the other often instead of, man, that's all of us. We are, we are spiritual, physical people, and, and we need to bring all of that to a God who loves and cares. So again, I'll ask you, what do you want? What do you need help with? What door do you want open to you? If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know this is not the only place Jesus talks about this. I'm not going to go there, for, but John 16, he, he reiterates this point often. Ask for anything in my name, and it will be given to you. And in the, in the same place, he's encouraging us to abide in him, because apart from him, we can do nothing. I love uh, what Paul Miller, he wrote a book called The Praying Life. If you've never read it, it's, it's one of my favorite Christian books, period. Uh, and uh, it's super helpful in regards to some of the struggles that we face when we pray. But he says this, one of the best ways to learn how to abide is to ask anything. Jesus added the qualifier, abide in me, only once. In the six times he told us to ask anything, his primary concern was to get us into the game, to start asking. Don't just ask for spiritual things or good things. Tell God what you want before you can abide, the real you has to meet the real God. Ask anything. This is what Jesus is encouraging us to come to the Father with, to ask. Are you willing to ask? I think uh, James 1 helps round out what Jesus is saying here. James 1, verse 5, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Again, who gives generous, generously to all without reproach. Again, do we really believe we come to a Father that gives generously to all without reproach? And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. And so there's two kind of, um, you know, wrongs we can do here. Well, often we just don't ask. We don't ask because it hasn't worked. It hasn't happened. And so we just stop asking. We don't ask because we fear. We don't ask because we doubt. We don't ask because we're cynical. But then a lot of times we, we, maybe we do ask, but then we don't trust. We, we don't trust that the Father is good. We don't trust that these words are true, that he is a generous, loving, good father to us. And that's what the scriptures would encourage us to, to, to ask and to trust. We don't have because we don't ask. But also when we ask, we are to simply trust. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like the perfect picture of this. Nebuchadnezzar is about to throw them to their death in this fiery furnace. The ones throwing them in the fiery furnace died. But they said, hey, 
We, we, our God is going to save us. There was like no qualifier. Our God's going to save us. And if he doesn't, we, we're not going to serve you. It seems like a contradiction. It seems like those two statements actually don't go together. But it's, it's the very example that, that Jesus and James are giving us, that we are to ask. We are to ask boldly. We are to ask courageously. We are to ask without fear. We are to ask to the degree that this is going on in our heart and lives. And we are to say, but I'll not bow down to any other idol, regardless of what goes on here. That's what we are called to when we pray. We are called to ask. We are called to seek. We are called to knock. Again, just consider, you can, you can answer these sermons better than I can preach it, answer this question better than I can preach it. What do you want and what keeps you from asking God for what you want? That is what you need to confess to him. That's what you need to come to him with. And that's what Jesus is encouraging you to go to your good father and ask for. And then verses 9 through 11 give us a, a really good picture of this real father. Simply a father we can trust. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The, the comparison is straightforward. We are sinful and we enjoy giving good gifts to our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, and we're sinful. How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And the picture is so, so clear as well. It's a child coming to their father to ask. I mean, it's, it's hard to count how many questions I get asked every day. Um, the same question so often. Um, because my kids come to me and ask for what they want. And in that, they model for us such a beautiful picture. But often, we come to our Father, like our kids do at times as well, in a stubborn fit. Because He hasn't given us what we want. He hasn't, he hasn't met the request. Um, and so, instead of coming and asking... We're coming and bitter. We're coming and complaining. We're coming and struggling. And, and we need to come. And we need to come in all of those ways because that's what's going on. But again, I don't think often we're, we, we let that stuff uh, keep us from coming. Because we don't want to be bitter or disgruntled with God when obviously that is what's going on. Um, but we're supposed to come to him and ask. Um, do you come to him as a needy child? Or do we throw a stubborn fit like a rebellious child in prayer with our God. And again, even this part, Jesus says, bring to the Father because he loves you. We have no need to hide our sinful bitterness and anger from God. None of our doubt about who the Father is will actually change who the Father is. This is who God is. Your doubts, your struggles, your bitterness is not going to change that. And you get to come to him and confess those very things. I loved also what Paul Miller said about our imperfect prayers. He says, Jesus isn't just the savior of my soul. He's also the savior of my prayers. My, prayer, my prayers come before the throne of God as the prayers of Jesus. Asking in Jesus' name isn't another thing I have to get right so my prayers are perfect. It's one more gift of God because my prayers are so imperfect. 
Again, one of the things that keeps us from coming and asking before God is because we have this desire to do it perfectly or to be right or to clean ourselves up. As much as we all know that's wrong, as much as we all know that our depravity, as much as we all know our sinfulness, we still have this inner voice that says, man, I need to be better before God. And actually, if I'm better before God, maybe he'll actually answer these prayers in the way I want. Now, none of us would probably claim that kind of health and wealth, prosperity gospel, but that's what that is. It's if I'm good enough, if I'm right enough, if I do this in the right way, then I will get what I want. Um, and Jesus is saying, don't worry about perfecting your prayers. Come to God with it all. As a whole, we know, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings that we can't even understand. And so we get to come and rest in that. We get to come and rest in the fact that God is generous. When we come to him, he loves us. He's generous. He gives all the things that we need. We have Jesus who died to perfect our prayers. We have the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. Those are the, the encouragements that we get as we come to this God in prayer. We get to, to rest in his work and his goodness. Like even if we can just, just picture all the work God has done and is doing in our prayers and the work we're doing. Like, that should free us. We're not having to perform. He has done so much and doing so much more than we could ever do. And we get to come to him. This father who we can trust. This is who the father is. Again, you and I don't always believe it, but he is never changing. You and I don't always know what he's up to, but we know what he's done. Even if we were thinking about the father's character, and we're just going to, to believe this verse. What, what, do, what more do we need than for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? Like if we get, we get in all of these theological debates, but if that's all the truth we need, right? Like if he did that, then that's who he is. He so loved the world that he gave Jesus that, that those of us that put our faith in him, we don't have to perish. The real sin that we have... Uh, in our life today and yesterday and tomorrow, we don't have to be held accountable for. The Father loves us that much that he did that. And so that should frame our thoughts around uh, how we come to him in prayer. And that should help us realize, man, I don't believe even that at times. Doesn't help deepen our repentance, doesn't help deepen our confession when we come to him. And what we exalt is all the things he hasn't done for us all the things he hasn't done for me, instead of, man, this thing he's done for me, in reality, is infinitely more everything than any of these things that I perceive that he hasn't done for me. But we struggle with that, and we need to be honest about that, and we need to come to God in prayer. And again, like God is not just longing to dole out things or to keep things from us. We know that God wants us that's why Jesus died on the cross to have us and we get him. He is ours and we are his. That's the, the relationship between us and God is the, the beautiful thing that we get in prayer. And that's the thing that drives us. That's the thing that in those unanswered prayers, it deepens. It, it can deepen our, our faith that he sinks into those, uh, that loneliness, that struggle, that whatever that is, that, that God, God, God's presence and relationship with us and an intimacy that drops deeper in those places when we continue to come to him and continue to confess the things that are actually on our heart. This is what God is doing and working and how he's shaping us. This is what he's calling us to. 
I, I think I watched this movie the other night uh, called United. It's about Manchester United in like 1950. There was a plane crash um, and um, uh, a handful of the players died, but it was, it was a pretty good movie. But there was this line in it where this one uh, kid, he was a young kid, and he was trying to make the team, and he was really good and kind of didn't understand why he wasn't making the team. Um, and the, one of the guys that was on the team, he's like, man, if you can't, you know, give everything you have over the next five years to trying to make this team and giving it all you have, and uh, whether it happens or not, then you need to go do something else. And, and I, I think about this picture of a father that loves us, that invites us into this relationship with him, and, and this thing that we get to be committed to, this relationship that we get to enjoy, this God that we get to know. And, and so often these other things are what, like, they get in the way of that commitment, don't they? They get in the way of that relationship. It's like, man, if this is true, why wouldn't we give our whole lives over to praying about something, even if, we, if it never happens in the way we want, but we got more of God and God got more of us in the process. And friends, as I say that, I don't, I, don't, I don't say that in a light way. I don't say that in a way that those things are hard. It doesn't take long to live life and the, the suffering and struggles that come with that. But is God really the most important being in the universe? Is God really up to more than we could ever imagine? Does God really know what's best for us? Man, in prayer, we get to fight for that. We get to be committed to that. We get to not know how outcomes are going to go one way or the other, but we get to know this God deeper and fuller. That's what we get when we cling to this God in prayer. And that's who our Father is, someone that wants us to come, wants us to be honest. Even that, isn't that such a sweet gift? There's times, you know, we're in relationship, and we really don't want people to be honest because it's just going to be a little too much to deal with. Like, you know, you can go be honest with someone else, maybe. Um, but it's just a lot. Even the simplest of us is a lot to deal with, if you think about all that's going on internally. <laughs> um, and we have a God who's like, I want all of that. I want you to bring it to me. I know it already. And because I know it already, you can be free to come to me like that. You're not too much for me. Um, that's the kind of God that we have and the kind of God that we get to continue to come to. Um, the truth is our Father only gives good gifts to his children. We, we think about our kids, and I mean, if we just think about the example that Jesus gives, which of us, if our kid actually asked for a snake, would give it to him? Like, actually wanted something bad, because we often want things bad. And how much of us would we give our kids something bad? And when they ask, and how limited are we in our understanding of what is good and what is bad for us? And we get to trust that our God knows more than we ever will. And there's a mystery to that. There's, there's things that I'll never know about on this, in this life. There's aspects of that that I just will never understand in this life. But that doesn't keep me from getting to know this God. That doesn't keep me from getting to trust this God. That he is wise and he knows what is good and what is not. Um, I'm going to give a couple examples of this in closing. I do want to say one aside, though. Um, in in area, any area where we feel stuck, 
an er any area where we're struggling deeply or we feel like God's turned his back on us and any, in any area like that, like the, we are to come to God in this kind of way. But the Bible actually encourages us to do much more than pray. Like sometimes, I just say this as a Christian, sometimes I feel like we use prayer as a scapegoat to not really do anything else. And, and prayer for Christians is not a scapegoat. It's like our lifeblood. It's like what we do as we're, if we're struggling financially, it's what we, we pray about it as we seek help for, for our finances. If we're struggling in our marriage, it's what prayer is what we do as we seek help for our marriage. If we're struggling with the sin issue, prayer is what we do as we seek help for that sin issue. Uh, if you just read the rest of the scriptures, I think we emphasize certain parts of the scriptures sometimes because it is a little easier for us. We can just stay and pray and not have to face the reality of all that's going on in our life. And the prayer is, like, we can't, we have no hope outside of prayer. Sorry, I don't, oh, there it goes. Uh, we have no hope outside of prayer. Uh, we have no hope outside of God doing something. But the scriptures always call us to so much more to community, to mission, to sharing the gospel, to worship, to being a member of a church, to loving and caring for one another. And there's so many aspects of that that are also a part of God's work in us and through us to help us in the areas that we're really struggling. And so don't use prayer as this kind of scapegoat to keep from doing any of those other things. And so two, two examples of this happening, uh, one from the book, uh, that I read, The Praying Life, and then another is the video that we'll show here in a minute. But in uh, The Praying Life, um, the, uh, and, and I'm sorry, these are examples of God moving and working in areas that are hard, that we don't have answers to, but in certain ways we see them cling to God and get more of Him uh, in the midst as they pray uh, for real things. So in uh, A Praying Life, um, Paul and his wife have a special needs child, Kim, um, and she's nonverbal. And uh, she, when one of the stories they tell was um, that Jill, the wife, was, was praying when she was pregnant, like many of us would pray, that God would protect uh, their sweet little Kim and uh, that God would move in that way. And then many years later, uh, and one of, one of the things that Kim, uh, Jill would pray is Psalm 21, just that prayer of protection over their child. And many years later, Paul's working on uh, something, and he, he says this. He says, years later, when Kim was about 20, I was sitting at the dining room table writing a Bible study on Psalm 121 that I was going to teach to our small group. I'd forgotten about Jill's Psalm 121 prayer. I looked up from the table and said, Jill, God did it. He kept us from all harm. He did Psalm 121. We had thought the harm was a daughter without disabilities, but this was nothing compared to the danger of two proud and willful parents. Because Kim was mute, Jill and I learned to listen. Her helplessness taught us to become helpless too. Kim brought Jesus into our home. Jill and I could no longer do life on our own. We needed Jesus to get from one end of the day to the other. We asked for a loaf of bread, and instead of giving us a stone, our Father had spread a feast for us in the wilderness. Thank you, Jesus, for Kim. Paul Miller goes on to say, when we don't receive what we pray for or desire, it doesn't mean that God isn't acting on our behalf. Rather, he's weaving his story. 
And guys, we know there's a mystery there. But we have a Father that loves us. We have a Father that's encouraging that we can cling to in the midst um, of those times. So we're going to try to play a video. One more example of this uh, from Johnny Erickson Tata. And um, this is from a book uh, that Crossway put out, and they put out this short film. Some of you may know her story already, uh, but watch this, and then I'll come close us. Suffering is uh, not much good in it, but it will teach you who you are. It's a textbook that will show you the stuff of which you are made, and sometimes it's not very pretty. Suffering will squeeze that out of you. You know, you, we say we know Christ. Well, okay, the next time you suffer and suffer hard, find out, find out what comes out of your mouth. That, that'll show how much you know Jesus. And so in that sense, it's, 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 it's good in, in a strange way. I was the last of four girls. My daddy wanted a boy, so I got the name Johnny. And the family was very athletic, so I was scrambling to keep up with everybody. which is probably why I took that reckless dive into shallow water at the age of 17. I was athletic, thought I could take an inward pike dive and pull out of it quickly enough, but I didn't. I took a dive off of a raft into shallow water and immediately struck bottom. That snapped my head back, breaking my neck at the fourth cervical level and immediately paralyzing me. They took me off to the hospital where I stayed for about a year and a half. When the doctors told my family that I would never walk again or have use of my hands, they conveyed that to me and it, it didn't compute. I was sitting up in the hospital bed and a friend came to visit with a guitar. I said, oh, let me play that. And he kind of looked at me weirdly, but obediently he put the guitar on my chest and I said, oh, just put my hand up here. And he did and I put my hand on the strings and. and I couldn't play them. My mind was saying that I could, because it was so simple. I'd always played the guitar, but, but it was a shock to, um, yeah. It suddenly hit me, this is different. My life's never gonna be the same. At night alone, 2 a.m., wanting desperately to cry, but there was nobody around to wipe my nose or dry my eyes, and I couldn't stand being messy at 2 a.m. and not being able to wipe my nose, and so I had to hold a lot in. Growing up on a farm, I loved to ride horses. I liked hard work, and so when I broke my neck, it was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the least likely candidate to do life in a wheelchair. God, you've got the wrong person. It's not me. I'm your athlete. I love to do stuff. And the idea of sitting down for the rest of my life without using my hands was 
horrific. I was quite bitter and very depressed, very despondent, because I just could not understand why God would allow something like total paralysis to happen to a young 17-year-old girl, especially to one who called herself a Christian. <laughs> and I felt that, uh, that God had almost deserted me. Right before my diving accident, I knew I was gonna go off to college. I knew it could be a crossroads spiritually for me. I was a Christian but temptations were looming. And so I prayed, Jesus, do something in my life to really grip it up. Do anything in my life it's gonna to take to draw me close to you. I want that, I need that. And then I broke my neck. And I remember thinking in the hospital, how could you take my prayer so seriously? I mean, I, I really didn't mean this. And I thought, God could never be trusted with another prayer again. And yet, where else am I gonna go turn? Because he's the only one that's got the words of life. So Jesus, help me understand, help me get it. How I'm supposed to live like this and what in the world are you doing? And what, how will I survive? I once wrote a book called A Step Further, and that was back in 1978, and it was my effort to, quote, make sense of suffering. God allows suffering to deepen your faith. God allows suffering to refine your character. An alphabetical list of one, two, three, four, the 16 good biblical reasons as to why God allows suffering. And I remember passing it under the nose of Elizabeth Elliot, you know, the manuscript, I wanted her endorsement. And she said to me, I'll never forget it. It's exact, Johnny, it's true, but it's very technical. I was crushed. <laughs> but that was in 1978. And now so many years later, I understand what she means. because suffering and understanding it is not a matter of good biblical reasons as to what God is doing and why. I think the whole purpose behind it is to press us up against the Lord Jesus and not make suffering so much about us. Oh, how will my faith be refined? How will my prayer life be deepened? What will I now understand about God's purposes? No, it's all about how can I hear his heartbeat? How can I resonate and identify with him and, and his sufferings? So somewhere there, there was a ping, like a change, and I realized it's not about me. My paralysis is about knowing Jesus better. And that, I think, is the summation of it all, just to know him better. More than half a century of living in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic, a um, couple of battles with stage three cancer, pulmonary hypertension. I'm not even sure what that is, but it's my daily struggle with chronic pain that makes life hard. 
In fact, it makes my quadriplegia feel like a walk in the park. I can do quadriplegia, but I, it's hard to do pain. One of my favorite hymns, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart. And I do that a lot. I say to Jesus, here's my heart. And I manage my heart. I, when I say, here's my heart to Jesus, I, I say, heart? You are not gonna go down that grim, dark road to depression. You have been there one too many times, and it's gonna rip you, rip you apart. You, you, you don't want that. And so I, I've gotta constantly be driving it like a sheepdog snapping at its heels down the road to Calvary every morning just to find Jesus in the midst of this discouragement or depression. I've gotta tell my heart constantly, go find Jesus. He's your hope, he's the only one that'll satisfy. And I'm, I'm grateful then that, uh, for that hymn. When I've gotta manage my heart, I turn to hymns. Hymns that are sturdy enough to barge into my soul, shake it awake and say, get back to Jesus where you belong. The timeless hymns are just a repository of, of wealthy doctrine. And they've helped me so much when I have been devastated by pain. Sometimes I cannot put two words together in prayer. The, the pain is so bad. But when you've memorized hymns, they're just there. At night, when I can't sleep at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever, I don't get anxious about it. I used to, but I don't. I just breathe deeply and I talk to my pain. I said, you're not gonna have control of me because 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse eight says that though I am pressed in on all sides, I'm not crushed. So pain, you're not gonna crush me. I'm gonna find Jesus in you. And then I start singing to him. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart, of thy wounded heart, of thy suffering heart, of thy painful heart. And I wish I could describe to you the sweetness and the intimacy that I find with my Savior. So God bless the pain. What a harsh, severe mercy, but what a sweet one, because it has helped me just love him. I remember I was a little girl and seeing these old women in church who would talk about how sweet the Savior was. And I think, hmm, okay, I guess old people talk that way.
but of all the things I've learned about him, he is so sweet, and he's so lovely, and he is so worth knowing. He's ecstasy beyond compare. And I would much rather be in this wheelchair knowing I'm like that than to be on my feet without him, honestly, I would. just a short poem that has meant a oh, great deal to me. Oh, please do. That's great. Um, when I was in the hospital, a friend of mine shared with me a particular hymn. And it's, you know, abide with me, fast falls the evening tide. When darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I think that kind of sums it up, too, just about how I feel that that I can abide in the Lord's grace, even in this wheelchair. And that, that constantly amazes me that, my goodness, I, I feel his sustaining power every day, and it, and it just underscores to me that God can empower anyone to rise above their circumstances. So I don't show that video just, uh, you know, obviously that uh, to tug at our emotions. Um, I don't just show that video, um, yeah, uh, for any reason but to, for us to see the, like it, it lays before us this, this goal, th this hope, like where the example earlier where Paul Miller comes to grips and sees that God has answered Psalm 121. Uh, Johnny gives us a picture of what it looks like to live a life of prayer. Uh, it's not, I don't show that video just so we can compare and that our struggles would feel light compared to hers. I don't think that's it. Um, it's that there's an intimacy that we can enjoy and experience with Jesus when the real us comes to the real God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Is that even just that? What would your video be? What, what would you speak of if you were to shoot a video like that? Many of us have had moments like that where we have experienced the intimacy with our God uh, in those, those hard moments of life. And sometimes we forget them. It's good to recount. It's good to remember. Um, again, God wants the real us to come to the real him, whether suffering or success. Um, don't let cynicism, don't let doubt keep you from coming to your Father who gives good gifts. And to be honest with you, friends, this is what we want to do when we have a night of prayer here at the end of August. Like, we want the real us to come to our real God as a church together, to plead with Him, to cling to Him, to experience Him, to, to ask for what we would want. That's what, one of the things I'm asking for that night is that we would experience God, that, the, that God would pour out his spirit in a supernatural way, that we would enjoy him and experience him, and that intimacy with him would drop deeper into those areas of our life, the struggles, the desires, the successes, um, that as a church we would come together and that we would pray for those things that are going on in our heart that we need, but that we would pray for those things that we want God to do as a church in these very ways. And so I would encourage you to make that uh, if you can. And so I'm going to give you just a moment now.
to take some of these things to God. So let's pray together. You can bow your head and close your eyes. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Brothers and sisters, take a moment to ask God for what's on your heart and mind. Maybe as we ask, some of us need to confess doubt or cynicism. Maybe we need to even just lay down theological confusion and tell God about that. We just need to take a moment to tell God what keeps you from coming to him. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us pray? Would you help us trust you? Father, Son, and Spirit together working to sanctify, working to give us even the ability to pray. Would we trust you? Would we come to you like needy children? Spirit, I pray that even if there's prayers that we've stopped praying, that you would revive our hearts the real desires that are on our mind, that are in our lives to come to our Father. Willing to walk the road of persistent prayer. And all of that we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.